Level Up Latina partners with working women and mamas alike to guide them in achieving fulfilling career and life goals through financial empowerment, professional or leadership coaching, and personal wellness. Find the unique coaching you need to succeed. You're listening to Vero, Ceci, and Irene, and we are Level Up Latina. Welcome to another episode of the Level Up Latina podcast. Today we have Miguelina and Griselda Rodriguez with us. They are the Brujas of Brooklyn. Miguelina and Griselda are Afro-Dominicanas, identical twin sisters, both hold a PhD in social science. Son unas doctoras chingonas y poderosas, truly witch doctors. Griselda and Miguelina enjoy creating safe spaces for women. Womb healing is their specialty and their work is absolutely amazing. I actually first met them at a workshop, Wellness Day, We All Grow Latina. And I was intrigued by their power and the fact that they are twins, since you all know I'm a twin mom. Anyway, we are honored to have you, mujeres, so welcome. Hola, hola. Hi, thank you. Now I remember exactly who you are. We took a picture and everything. Yes, yes, yes. 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 Like, yes. And I felt like I felt like I connected with you so much. And I don't know if it was well, definitely the the work and the workshop. I felt it and I felt so, such a connection, but also the fact that you were that you're twins. And I was like, I need to go meet them in person. <laughs> and hablar con ella. So thank you for being here today. We're really excited to have you both. Before we get started talking about your work, tell us about your background, your upbringing. Where were you ladies born? Hi, this is hey. Miguelina. Uh, thank you so much for having us. We are identical twin sisters from Brooklyn. We were born in the States, in the uh, Lower East Side in Manhattan. And at a very, very young age, about six months, our mom was undocumented when we were born. She just couldn't manage, you know, raising us two. She was a single mom. So she sent us to the Dominican Republic and we were raised with this beautiful village of my aunts, um, my mom's older sisters and cousins. And it was such a beautiful upbringing that has informed so much of who we are today as brujas, as academics, as human beings. Then at around the age of four or so, our mom, you know, got her stuff in order and sent for us. And we've lived in Brooklyn since uh, different boroughs, but mainly Bed-Stuy and we are currently in Bushwick. And then uh, our college experiences and then forth. Yeah, we've lived in New York City pretty much all our lives. We'd, we spent like maybe seven to 10 years um, combined living um, out of New York City. So that was a different experience. It was more suburban. Um, we grew up most of our life with Black and Latinx people as the majority. And then like maybe in 2010 was when we like really settled into our adult lives in New York City. And then in like 2012 was when Bruhas of Brooklyn was was gestated and started to be birthed. Wow. Well, what a story. And what, how hard was it for your mom to, you know, let both of you guys go to the Dominican? Like, me imagino que it was like a hard experience for her. But it had to be done. And so power to making that decision. I know it was a hard decision being away from her two little girls. But you guys came back, uh, made your lives in New York. And I'm going to ask you the typical twin question that I know you probably hate, but I got to ask. So who's older and by how much? We love that question because we have a very, very interesting answer. So in Western notions of time, I'm older because I was pulled out first via C-section. And then three minutes later, Miguelina was pulled out. But somewhere like in our mid-20s, we learned that 
in like a West African cosmology, Miguelina is the oldest because in twin lore, which in West Africa, especially Nigeria, has the highest concentration of twins in the world, they believe that the one that comes out first is the youngest because um, we clear the way for the elder to come in. It's like wow. we're, we're like the guinea pig sent out to be like, everything's good <laughs> for you. And then um, we, did a, we did an event yesterday, a virtual event, and this sister that just had, had just met us, she we told her that like that West African perspective. And after the event, when she saw us in action, she was like, wow, I can really see that, you know, Miguelina does show up as the elder to a certain extent. Wow, that's that's yeah. really interesting. And it kind of like again, it's like poking at me like I'd want to learn a little bit about from my own twins, because I actually had an interesting experience when I was um, giving birth to the girls. I, it's always, it was always like, you know, twin A and twin B, twin A and twin B, the way they're positioned, right? And so twin A, Paula, was always positioned lower. And then B, Samantha, was always um, up higher. So it was always A was going to be first. They were monitoring them. And all of a sudden, they were like, wait, something's going on, you know? And like, I don't know, they, they finally figured out that B pushed her sister out of the way. <laughs> and Clearing the path A. for her elder. <laughs> exactly. So she became A in that in the process of, of giving birth. And she ended up coming out first. B, Paula, who ended up being younger by almost an hour, is very more like more de- needy and dependent on her sister. And then the older one that came out first, Samantha, she's more independent. Thank you for sharing that. Last night, I was just scrolling on Instagram and I came across this post and it said, it's pretty much the gist of it was like, okay, so there's like Valentine's Day and there's Mother's Day, Father's Day and these religious celebrations, but there's no recognition for the eldest daughters, you know, and then it says something about the backbone, you know, the backbones of society, they, you know, make sense, you know, like, and when you mentioned about, you know, the elders and the, the younger ones paving the way, I was, that gave me chills. No sé por qué. Like, it really just made me think like, that is yeah. so true. Like we, we, I always, I have an older sister, I'm the youngest in my family, but I always feel like, ay, es que no sé qué es anticuada. You know, she's just so used to, you know, she follows more the guidelines of what my parents expected, you know? But I'm like, dang, when I read that, I was like, I don't give her enough respect for being the first, for being the eldest, for being the one that even to this day, like, provides so much for our family. So when you mentioned that, I'm like, that is so legit. And then just thinking that we don't recognize them that much in that sense to give them ese lugar, ¿me entienden? And I think as Latin, I was going to say, yeah. in the Latina, in the Latinx community, I think that that's like on steroids because for so many reasons, the eldest ends up oftentimes helping to raise the younger siblings and a lot of the responsibilities and like the younger, the eldest has all the pressure because the youngest ones are always like pitted against the oldest. No, porque, porque tú no eres como tu hermana, porque tú no eres como tu hermana. Yes. And even though in, in African cosmology, I may be the oldest, in a Western context, I still, even as twins, and um, Cecilia, I don't know if your girls show up like this, even as twins, we're only three minutes apart, I still show up younger. We're like, Rosalda got married, she has a child, she finished her PhD, she's, she shows up more responsible, where I tend to like just do my own thing, and I'm like more of like the, the spirit child, you know, flowing in the wind. But even in that context as twins, Griselda was always like the responsible one. Yeah, and it's important. I think 
in the U.S. context, we don't venerate elders as we should. We dispose of them. We're a very ageist culture. We're like, you know, you're, you're just considered old at a ridiculous age. And we don't respect elders from something as trivial, relatively trivial as, you know, here in New York City, public transportation, just people not giving up their seats to elders, to like, you know, putting our families in nursing homes, to not respecting what they have to say. And I think that our generations, we're realizing that we have to go back to those quote unquote old ways of especially healing and being because this allopathic Western way alone isn't enough. So I'm the oldest and I have a, a younger sister who's about four and a half, almost five years younger than I am. And she did things before I did. Like I was in school, but it was she, you know, she had a baby. She got married. She had, I want to say three babies before I had my, my own kids. So I always felt like she was very mature and I always felt at sometimes I was like, I felt like she was the older sister, but at the same time, I felt like I was also kind of paving the way and like being the old, you know, taking the responsibility of being the oldest and, and going through that path. But my sister, you know, is at home. She lives with my parents. So she has a lot of responsibility in that regard because she's there. So it's like kind of like a balance I would say with, with us. And that's um, funny because the same for us, like, Griselda's married. She has a six-year-old. She lives on her own around the corner. We live around the corner from each other. <laughs> and, you know, I live at home with our mom. Soon to be uh, shifting. Ironically, that's where my boyfriend is. He's going to look at an apartment a few minutes away from here to see if we're going to move in a few months. But yeah, so I have different responsibilities caring for an elder than Griselda caring for um, a six-year-old. So it's so interesting. So many parallels between the, the five of us. Going back to your story and your path and going to college, how was going to college? And did you, did you two go to college at the same time or, or even to the same college? As per my mother's demands, <laughs> she was like, which was very, you know, my mother was 40 when she had us. So yeah, I know that for women, especially Latinas, she was a hamona. She was an old maid. She, <laughs> she had my brother, she had my brother at like 21, 22 brothers, 16 years older than us. Um, but nevertheless, she was old, older. But for for being an older Latina woman, my mother has has very like radical views because she was like, no, you're going away to school. A lot of my friends, their parents didn't allow them to go to school because of that. Like, go away to school. Go away to school, not go to school. <laughs> like go away. Yeah, they to had school. to stay at home. That whole vibe, yeah. that whole traditional vibe. Right, which is very like machista, like trying to quote unquote protect us. But in reality, like really clipping our wings. So my mother, Miguelina, was like, I am leaving. I'm going to a state school. I'm going away. I had my little boyfriend at the time. And I was like, no, I'm going to a city school. And my mother was like, no, se me van la do. I love so it. Thank I'm God I, that, we, that I applied. Um, and we both got in. So we, were, we, went, we went to the same school. Freshman year, we were not roommates. But from sophomore to senior year, we were roommates and then housemates. Um, we didn't major in the same thing. She's, she majored in economics. I majored in something called human development, which is like interdisciplinary psychology, sociology. But we went to the, we pledged the same sorority at the same time. We were in the same clubs. I mean, we did everything together. And then when we went to grad school, I went further away up north and then she went to New Jersey. And that was really hard. Like we were 22. I bet. We first time you know you're gonna see a Cecilia it was the first see. time her and I separated and I felt her separation more than like my boyfriend and my mother but then she was an hour away so every other weekend I was on the Greyhound bus 
going back to my alma mater, but also to see to see her. And like she said, now, years later, we live three blocks away from each other. Like we can't get enough of each yeah. other. Now yeah. we're partners. <laughs> no, no, the distance, um, especially as siblings, especially as twins and we're identical twins and we're very we're good friends. We're very good friends. The distance did help. It was very hard, but we fought a lot, like physically fought, you know, people that meet us, yeah. you know, we're really chill and we're just like, oh, love for the most part. Cause you know, we bring fire when needed, but we're like all oh, love and like respect and the way we treat each other. And when people that don't know us, when we go into detail, the way we used to fight and like throw each other's clothes in the garbage and, and just hit each other. They're like, what? Like you two. Um, and you know, a part of that, a lot of it was poverty. You know, we were latchkey kids from nine years old, staying home alone while our mom worked in like a bathing suit sweatshop. And we were alone with very little supervision. We had neighbors that would chime in and sometimes bring us food, but there was no supervision and we would fight a lot. And we still fought in college. We would argue, we would bicker. And then we went away and we separated and we grew closer and it, it helped us, you know, it helped us miss each other, respect each other and understand like just how much the other one meant to us and her presence. And now like, of course we bicker, we argue, but like, not like physically fighting, not like verbally disrespecting each other. The other day, I don't know, I was upset and I was like, Gri, you're acting like such a bitch. I, I don't even think, Gri, I called you a bitch. And you were like, you said I was acting like something, which is for me relatively minor in the grander scheme of things, especially the way we used to fight, that we offend each other more, which I think is a beautiful thing because of that level of respect. But we did have to be separate and do our own thing because... If not, it was going to be this like enmeshment. And now I think that we've individuated in a really nice way where she has her world. I have my world and we, we like dance. We come together and we come apart. Um, but yeah, we're homies. We're business partners. And Gri always says it like being business partners with a family member, a twin sister. It's a beautiful thing, but it's a, it's a lot of work. It's hard because we bicker, we bicker a lot and like, you know, it's just a lot and it's, it's a beautiful thing. And I think it's, it's a big part of our success, but it's also, it drives us to do a lot more personal work so that we can continue to cultivate that respect. I love that. I love that you, your connection is so powerful and it just seems like you, you two, even though it was hard, needed that space to kind of grow within your, like with, you know, grow yourself and then come together and then create something as beautiful as um, Ruka's at Brooklyn. And, and so I guess this is a perfect segue to see, okay, you guys, you know, went on your own path and then um, for grad school and then in grad school, did you guys decide together, Hey, let's go into the social science or is that where, when the idea of um, Ruka's of Brooklyn was born or how, how did that came about? I'll answer the, the social science question and Gri, please, if you don't mind answering the Bruja's question. It's so interesting. Like when you're destined to do something, the way the universe, like just your trajectory is one where it's like, oh, I was meant to do this. I actually don't have social science backgrounds. My academically, I have an economics degree, then a master's in public administration. My PhD is in public policy and urban planning because I was going to go into like policymaking. I worked for a research think tank in New Jersey. And I thought that was my career. I was going to crunch numbers and conduct interviews and run regressions and read regressions. 
And then an opportunity showed up for me to teach urban studies within a sociology department at the community college I teach in. And I'm like, okay, sure. Griselda's degree is in sociology. And now we both end up being social science instructors. So it's so interesting. Mm. Gri and I were meant to do this. So, yeah. And um, just like Megan mentioned about when you're destined, it's almost like you have guideposts throughout your path. You know, like if you were, grew up playing like Nintendo or Sega, you will get to certain levels and like re-up and then get to the next level. You know, our life has presented opportunities where we grew spiritually at certain milestones of our life. During grad school was, was where, I mean, we grew up with uh, Afro-Dominican tradition called La Ventiuna Divisione. You know, my mother had altars. My mother will attend like misas, they were called, where people would get mounted. And then she became more ingrained in the Catholic church when we, we had to move at one point further away from the family. Mm -hmm. um, she lost that community and became more ingrained in her Catholicism. But it wasn't until we got to grad school where I think the like real, like the seeds were already planted with our upbringing. And then that those seeds were watered in grad school because of hardship. We, we, we faced loneliness. We faced racism. You know, getting a PhD as a Latina is a humongous milestone, just like is a humongous hurdle. Mm -hmm. Because there's not a lot of people that look like us that have our experience to be mentors. So it could be a very isolating experience. So we were led to go deeper into our spiritual work to just keep our sanity. So those were like the, the watering of those seeds. It wasn't until we left grad school that we became professors and then life served us even more hardship and challenges that we took the spiritual tools that were fine-tuned in our personal life. And we started to experiment like Frankenstein, experiment on our friends. Hey, come to this retreat. And then people were like, wait, there's something here. Like, yeah, have a thing. And then it just kind of like, it was like a gigantic, like a, like a baby small snowball that has grown into this thing that sometimes I look back and I'm like, is this my life? Like, whoa, you know, giving thanks. Yeah. But um, because of Brooklyn wasn't birthed formally until around like 2012, um, years after we finished our PhD. Wow. Well, you finished your PhD. Yes, yes. It took me a very long time. Wow, but I, I, uh, I'm enjoying this conversation a lot. I, I can see myself like having taken one of your courses, like in college. I'm like, you know, just thinking like, oh my god, I want to take their class. Like, how amazing! Or either Miguelinas or Giselas. It just all like, of their classes. It would be like, yeah. what else do they teach? What else do they teach? What yeah. else do they teach? Yeah, it's like one of those like, professors that you fans that take like I, for me at least. I have like these fans and I love them. They call themselves that, not me, like that have taken all of like my classes and I see their name and I'm like, oh, you again. Hi. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Yeah, no, in college, I remember, I know Irene Vetter and I did that a lot. Like, oh my God, have you taken, you know, like Chela's class and whatever. We have Chela Sandoval. That, that was like a professor that we, that really? we uh, yeah. yeah. I love Sandoval. her work. Yes. Yeah. She was our professor. You, you, <laughs> Older Chicana. Yeah, mm -hmm. older Chicana. Oh my UC God. Santa Barbara, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love her work. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so then we would just take classes all the time. <laughs> <laughs> the same class. so We're like, wait, should like, we take that, that class? Yeah. Should yeah. we take the class? Is that, gonna, is that really going to go towards our credits? But we really want to take the class. Yeah, so yeah, we would just what, take it, you know? I would have taken all her classes. I would have taken all her. Yeah, I met her in Syracuse a very long time ago. How cool. Mm. <laughs> But it's so funny on the conversation that you, you guys, how you explained that whole process of what, how Brujas of Brooklyn was born. A lot of times we like, 
you know, life takes over. You mentioned, you know, your mom was like, she had a, somehow was pulled away from the family. You guys lived a little bit further away. Then you guys went off to college and it wasn't into college that you guys found your way back into that spiritual calling that was already in you. It was like, just, it was innate. It just needed to be awoken, you know, and, and it, it kind of, it allowed for you to now only not only light that little fire within you, but also like spread that little fire and, and, and grow that snowball, like you mentioned. Um, porque, you know, it's, it's in us. A lot of times we just, there's that little voice or that little thing within us that we just kind of neglect and neglect. Um, but it's that little important piece that helps us become who we are. You know, it's, it's our, our little reason of who we, uh, the little part of who we are, what we're meant to be and what we're meant mm -hmm. to do. Yeah, basically we just ignore it, you know? So how did you guys let that little voice or that come out? You know, what, what inspired you guys to just let it come out? We were not out, like really, really, um, you know, the way I say is like the universe, when the, when the universe, the divine God wants to send you a message, like they shove you a little bit, you know, then if you don't listen, they like shake you up and then you trip and then, you know, like, Some of us land on our face and we still hold on and then we're dragged. You see the like scratch marks on the floor. And um, I think it was that. <laughs> it, it, was a, it was a lot of like, you know, the beauty of Gri and I is we have this like theoretical academic. We read so freaking much and we, we want to learn so much and then like regurgitate it to our communities in a way that's more like um, digestible. But then we have this exper experiential side where like, we've we've been served life you know life has life and we've experienced losses and health scares and uh toxic relationships and economic hardships and you know the little voice it, it i think it was just our faith and our mother's faith you know when when we were preparing for today you, you all that are listening can't see it but i'm sta i'm sitting in my mom's room and there's like a jesus christ a white jesus christ you know <laughs> Cuadro behind me, you know, Jesus Christ on the cross. What happened? It's three dimensional. It's fancy. Right. You can't see it, but it's like three dimensional. But it's, it's actually a little creepy. <laughs> but you know what? When me and Gris started doing this work um, and get deeper with it, we were very like political and social activism was like at the center of who we were. We were very like, we were sometimes a little bit too aggressive with our mom and our families. Like, you pray to that white Jesus, you know, and it's like, I, I had to understand to like, speaking of, wow, sorry. I don't know if I was disconnected. That was my mother. That was Jesus it. right there, girl. Same. He's like, hey, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, like, yes, yes, you were a tad <laughs> too aggressive. That, you were a tad you. too aggressive. <laughs> Yo, you cannot make this up. You cannot make this up. For anybody listening, her screen just kind of went away, came back like, oh, okay. Because my mom was calling because like, yo, oh. they, they <laughs> so, oh, so mama, creepy. <laughs> But it's like, you know, we've, uh, I've kind of laid back, laid off on my mom. And, and this is a long winded way to answer that question because the little voice, you know, and I really appreciate that question, Vero. Like that little voice was like the, the faith that my mother instilled in us. My mother has prayed over us since you know before we were created while we were in the womb you know and like they say like when you walk with your mother's prayers that's the ultimate form of protection and like you know she we she taught us how to pray the rosary every single day imagine eight nine year old like Ave Maria Purissima I would be like oh my god and although I don't pray the rosary I am really grateful I still do the sign of the cross when I leave my house you know I walk with that faith and I think that that is what allowed Gri and I to really not like 
go on the deep end when we were struggling, you know, and as twins, we experienced a lot of hardships collectively, not only because we're so connected, you know, on an emotional, spiritual level, but when we're very much into astrology, like in astrological terms, a Saturn's return is usually when you're like between 26, 27, up until your early 30s, it takes Saturn, you know, uh, 27 years or so to orbit like your natal chart. And at that time, Saturn is a planet of destruction and the planet of like helping you rebirth. Usually around the mid to late 20s is when people experience a lot of like loss, growth, divorce. They start a business, they lose a job, they lose a loved one, they lose a parent. And we experienced it collectively and it was hard because we experienced like losses of romantic love, health scares, financial hardships. I left my PhD program around that time for a year and we had each other and we had the faith that we walked with so that when we came out on the other side, we were actually stronger. You know, we didn't buckle and we weren't like, God, why? Of course, sometimes we were like, God, what the fuck? Why? But for the most part, we were like, okay, like everything happens for a reason yeah. and we trusted. And now those, those experiences are what are like the medicine that we offer people in Brujas of Brooklyn because we don't, we don't call ourselves healers. We don't say we're going to, we're here to heal you. It's like, no, we're here to show you what we did. And we got some tools on our little life tool belt along the way. You want to borrow my tools, you know, or you, you want us to show you how you can get your own tools. Cause that's the only way people are really going to heal through their own like processes. I love that. Oh my goodness. That definitely resonated. You guys, it's a fair, um, it's it just it really speaks to me and what, what you just how you answered that question because a lot of times you know we do fight our faith we fight what what is that light in, in us and the beauty is that those prayers that are you know that our moms throw out to the world and in their faith that really help guide us and keep quote unquote that faith that we have so thank you for sharing that and I'm, I'm glad that you just you know you really gave us the, the truth and I hope it speaks to a lot of people I mean I know that in, in developing your craft, you said that you you don't heal people, you know, you you guide them. We had a discussion not too long ago where, we're, you know, we talked to another one of the another woman and she was like, hey, you know, I'm not here to empower you because you have it within you. I'm here to inspire you. So that really goes hand in hand to how you want to remind people that it's everything's within you. You just have to find it. You have to find the strength. You have to find that that uh, the, 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 the the belief in yourself that you can attain what you want to attain, whether it be healing, whether it be those goals and, and you're going to have setbacks, but you have to find a way to get back on and keep going, doing your, your workshops and, and having your, you know, interacting with your friends as, as the people you wanted to try out what you were doing, you know, you developed and you kind of guided, went towards the, your special craft, which is womb healing. So tell us more about how you led to specifically focus on like womb healing and, and kind of explain to us what it is and why do we need to heal our wounds. Yeah, I mean, we always, you know, we we always lead with the reality that our mother, my, our mother's experience with a hysterectomy inspired us. Of course, unintentionally, because we were so young, we were around 10 when she had a hysterectomy, to really pay mind to like what womb wellness is. So again, it was like one of those seeds that I mentioned that were planted. So around 10 years old, um, my mother was in her early 50s. She got a hysterectomy. Um, which for those that don't know is like when they surgically remove your fallopian tubes, your, 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 your ovaries, 
and your uterus because my mother had fibroids, which are like tumors or benign tumors that grow on the wall of the uterus. And my mother would bleed a lot when she was on her period to the point where, which a lot of people that tunes in who are of um, Latinx descent can tell that their grandmother or mother didn't really rest. Like our elders didn't really rest. The only time I saw my mother resting was on her period because it was so heavy that she would be drained and she had anemia because of it. So my mother was, was menopausal overnight and that caused a lot of emotional imbalance, a lot of physical ailments. She developed osteoporosis like very quickly because of it. And that was like then a magnet that was planted in our mind that led us to attract experiences um, where the womb came so significant to our work. So when Miguel explained earlier about the Saturn's return, part of the upheaval in my late 20s was that I physically separated from my fiance, now husband, and I went to live because a woman that I knew had a room um, available and I went to live with her for three months and she ended up being like this womb priestess. She, she worked a lot on womb wellness and she taught me so much about this word yoni, which we use now, which is a Sanskrit word to mean like sacred space, but also like a woman's womb. And me and me get just like dove into it. We learned how that's a portal, right? A womb is where physically human beings are carried and birthed through, but it's not only human beings. A womb is where ideas are birthed. This podcast was birthed through like womb energy. As yogic practitioners, as yoga instructors, we teach a lot about the chakras, those vortexes of energy that line our spine. And the second one is the sacral chakra. The, the color is orange and its power lies around the womb area for all people, but especially women people with wombs and it's that's where like our creativity comes from but in a patriarchal society that power of the divine feminine of womb power has been like repressed because male domination doesn't want women or femininity to be fully expressed because then they won't be in business right so I think that when we started to like work on our own wombs and healing and using yoni eggs and yoni steaming and really taking care of our wombs, um, I think then we started to like really get serious about sharing that, that knowledge with others. I personally started to prepare my body like a year or so before I knew I wanted to conceive a baby, conceived, thank you God, very easily, and then had a home birth you know, a natural home birth. And I'm a doula also. I've been a doula for nine years now, which is like a birth assistant. Um, so like our world just started to revolve around wombs like 10 years ago. And now we're like obsessed with it. And Miguel, you know, I know you often share. Yeah, it's, um, and that was, that was beautiful, Gri, just to demonstrate again, you know, when you flow and let spirit take over things that at the moment seem really shitty and difficult, end up being where so much of your medicine lie because I remember Grizz's separation. I was separated from my then boyfriend who, you know, became an ex now, but I remember how difficult it was for both of us, but mainly for her because she was engaged and she physically moved out. And this woman now, you know, Mama Moo, she's a spiritual elder. She was one of Grizz's doulas. She's just, she's a, a mother of sorts. And it would not have come about, you know, if that separation hadn't happened. But, you know, to what he was alluding to, it's um, my own personal experiences, you know, at a, rel at a very young age, 25, having a leap done. So I have HPV and my HPV was significantly advanced by the time uh, it was called uh, the, the HPV. Thank you. The HPV. The HPV. <laughs> we're not owning this. 
it was so significantly advanced that I had precancerous cells in my cervix. And, you know, my father's family has a history of cervical, uterine, ovarian cancers. So that was like, oh, okay. And but at that point, my doctor um, recommended a leap, which is like they go in and they shave a really, really thin layer of the top of my cervix. And I had that done at 25 and it was, and my life was so topsy-turvy. Like I didn't feel grounded. It happened so fast and I didn't seek counsel of elders. I didn't have elders, you know, at 25 years old that I can like go to. I was like, sure, I'll do it. And um, I did it. And I'm grateful there's no regrets yet. I share my story so that other women don't have to go through this, either avoiding, you know, the situation where the precancerous cells develop to begin with. And then if that happens, there are a lot of natural routes that you can take first. And if that doesn't work, then you can go and seek allopathic, allopathic, what we call Western medicine, or best case scenario, a combination of both. And because of that, you know, I take care of my womb, of my body as much as I can. Um, you know, I'm, we're about to be 40. I don't have children and I do want them. And I talk about conceiving them with my, with my partner. And I, I have to walk around in, in a different way um, because I know that um, not only do I have this leap, but I'm older yet. And still, that doesn't mean that I'm scared that I'm not going to be able to conceive because Gri and I have been taught by these elders that like, if you take care of your body, you don't have to give in to these like patriarchal Western notions that by 30, your eggs start to drop. And by 35, you know, your, your, your ovaries and your uterus start to shrivel and you better get it moving. You know, I think that it, it gives me a lot more breathing room and space versus just being so pressed. On the other side of that coin, though, is being a Latina woman, being Dominican, the pressures of my family. Like we're getting ready to go visit some family members that we haven't seen in a while because of COVID. And literally after this, we're going to get ready and go. And I'm going to, I'm already like, I'm going to mentally prepare. Your boyfriend mm -hmm. going? Yeah, my boyfriend's going. So at least that's a buffer. Like, okay, aunque se tiene novio, because yeah. I was single for a long time. <laughs> I was single from like 33 to 38. And it was my family was like, ¿Y será que se va a quedar homona? ¿Será que ella, ella, ella es lesbiana? ¿Será que no le gusta? And it's like all these things where it's like, hey, none of your business. Mm -hmm. B, if I do so, what? And, you know, the other side of the coin is also like the pressures in the culture. Y tú, cuando tú vas a parir un muchacho, I have a mm -hmm. PhD. And my family was like, mm -hmm. Felicidades, sí, pero y lo, y lo muchacho, cuando viene? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and quickly to begin to end the answer to that question, our work is, is so important, and not only because it helps, you know, I believe Griselda's work particularly prevent, like, you know, mortality rates when women of color are giving birth. You know, it helps women, our work helps women have a more, like, pleasant cycle if, you know, women tap in and, and do their own work. But I think it also helps, you know, women particularly like, you know, not give in to these societal pressures, specifically as Latinas and like stay or get into really shitty relationships because they're so old. Y porque, ¿qué va a decir la gente? You know, the last relationship I was in, it was really toxic. And my, when I left for good, I moved back home and I was like, mommy, I'm moving back home. You know, do you give me your blessing? Can I move back into my room? She's like, por supuesto, mija, you can. But you know, before you do, you know, why don't you think about it? And why don't you have a baby with him? You know, maybe he changes, you know, maybe the relationship could be salvaged. And I remember I was 33 looking at her like, 
oh my goodness, you are the like stereotypical textbook case of what I don't want to become. And I don't want women in particular to fall victim to. So I thank God I didn't listen to my mother in that instance. And I, we share our stories. So anyone that's listening understands that like, you don't have to give in to pressures. If you want to have a baby, God bless you. If you don't, God bless you as well. I am so glad you shared that. I am going to, in serio, like, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Because there's so many of us that need to hear that. You know, we give in to be like, oh, well, this is what my parents want. I'm going to do it. This is what my family expects. Let me do it. And it's it's kind of like one of those being bicultural, you know, here you are mm -hmm. like being advancing your career, being a chingona, like badass. I just, <sighs> you know, like Ceci becoming the lawyer, Irene becoming the CEO, you guys, you both ladies becoming PhDs, getting things done that are projecting you forward in so many levels. You know, you guys are breaking barriers. You guys are like breaking glass ceilings. And it's kind of hard when they tell us, go to school, educate, create opportunities for yourself. But then there's a part of, hey, pero casate. Hey, have the kids. Uh -huh. Oh, and um, it made me think of a, of a situation where my mom thought I was getting hit by my husband in the, in the bathroom. She thought I was getting beat, but she never walked in to do anything. And funny story was I wasn't getting beat. We were doing, you know, other what husband and wife do in our, you know, we're like, where, where can we have some privacy? You know, I had just, you know, we had my suegra <laughs> over my mom and I had, just, you know, they were visiting the kids and our house is really small. So my mom is like, thank God it wasn't anything bad. But she told me the next morning and she's like, oh, you know, are you okay? Everything fine. And I'm like, yeah, but she's like, well, I thought this was happening. I'm like, well, mom, if you thought that, why wouldn't you walk in and do something? And she's uh -huh. like, well, es que tiene que respetar uno la relación entre un hombre y una mujer. That to me, you know, we come from, we have our mothers and we come from tías that tell us, like, no sean tontas, you know, like, no se dejen llevar de un hombre, like, quit, you know, stand up for yourself. But then when it comes down to it, they're like, I'm not going to get into this, you know, go ahead and maybe you should overlook the 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 drinking problem and it's going to be okay. You know, overall, he's like, this person's a good man. Have a kid with them. And it's trippy how we hear. It's really hard to live this first generation, this, this, you know, women coming to our own, you know, being told, go to school, get opportunities, and then being told, hey, who cares if it's, you know, if it's a toxic relationship? I hope you understand that it, that's not your only two options, right? Let's be empowered. Let's, let's stand up for each other and be able to provide a space to be like, is everything for real okay? Because if it's not, you're okay to walk away and you're going to survive. You're going to be all right. Someone mm. else will come along and treat you the right mm. way. It's not always easy too, because I know Vero, you also got the habitual like, oh, she just might be lesbian. And that's why oh, there's yeah. <laughs> this zero hope. Like that's a bad thing. Like, I know you're probably listening to this and be like, I'm getting the same thing. I'm getting the same, be strong, stay the course because there's going to be criticism and you're never going to get it right. So do what is true to your heart. And that message is so problematic for so many reasons, you know, like, oh, será pata, será lesbiana, because it's like, so just it's pathologizing, pathologizing homosexuality. A, and then it's like demeaning us. Like if, if that's, if that's how we were born and that's our preference, oh, something's wrong with us. And it's never like, oh, she's autonomous and she chose to be single while the right partner and her attract to each yes. other. It's like, eh, ella será como Dominican, Dominican say, ella tiene que ser como jodona, como que ella es muy particular. Ella muy, mm. And it's, it's always pathologized. It's never like a way to it. It's that we're never looked at as empowered when we're single. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wanted yes. to share and like, I'm on the fence. Um, if I was going to say off the record, I'm on the fence. And I guess maybe with time I, I'll, 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 I'll confirm, but like I'm separated from my husband. 
you know, we, we, we've been married seven years. We've been together 20 years since I was in college. So then the conversation is like on the flip side about like the conversation now is like, you know, asking, pressuring women to, to get into relationships, have children. So I got in the relationship, I got married, had a kid, and then I initiated the separation and my mother just does not understand, but she's like in complete denial. She won't talk about it. She's like, él no te, él no te da, él no te pega, él no bebe, you know, él no te pega cuerno, no infiel. You know, it's like all these criteria for why we should leave. And it's like, why, you know, it's, she, she doesn't understand why, why I left. And I'm like, because I was unhappy, you know. So it's like we have this dual pressure where it's like we're pressured to get married and then we're pressured to stay married or stay in relationships that are not healthy for us. You know, to the point where like even my, I just finished saying my mother is in denial, but then like using the word that Miga used about pathologizing because of machismo, when stuff does go wrong, oftentimes if it's a heterosexual relationship, the woman is blamed. Get we see what did you do? My mother asked me for one of my best friends who, who ironically lives in Cali. And I'm like, oh, she's fine. Like her and her husband are fine, the baby. And then she said something like, yeah, um, oh, um, si, ella todavía tiene su esposo porque ella, ella no es exigente como tú. She still has a husband because she's not like demanding and particular like you. And I was so hurt by that. You know, and unfortunately, I don't cry with my mother. Like, I won't cry to be like, why did you do that? Like, I unleash, you know, my sister and I lash out at my mom a lot, which is yeah. not healthy, but part of it. Like, Dominica, yeah. you know, when same here. you're like, you're <laughs> up against as a Latina woman, as a woman of color, as black woman, Gri and I, we're like already up against so much, right? And it's like outside of our community dynamic. And then when we come home, it's like the same bullshit. It just looks different. Mm. And it's just like, you know, there's this really good book. It's called The Maria Paradox. And it addresses this same concept. Like, you know, um, uh, Gloria Anzaldúa. Is that her last name? Anzaldúa. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, uh, the Borderlands, right? She's, she writes a lot yeah. about how Latinos in this context, Latinas, we live in the margins in that hyphen, the Dominican hyphen American, Mexican hyphen American. We live in that hyphen. Y no somos como, you know, Unfortunately, we just talked about La India Maria in this presentation we had this week. Um, but, you know, no somos ni de aquí ni de allá. It's one of those things where our spiritual work has allowed us to experience a level of groundedness where it's like, well, we are creating our own space. You know, when Anzaldua wrote, Borderlands was written a, significant, a relatively long time ago. You know, a lot has passed. It's transpired. It's progressed. And I feel like we're creating our own space here in this hyphen, in this dash, whatever you want to call it. But it does require a level of groundedness and a level of community because you will really lose your shit and you will stay in really toxic relationships in toxic jobs that don't serve you. You know, I see it a lot mm. in academia mm. in the name of success, mm. women making six figures that are fucking miserable, but yeah. they have an office and they have a black card. Y tienen un título because that's a thing with Latinos, immigrant parents, su título. Oh my God. Yes. Ella una profesional. And they're miserable. And I think we have to create our own measures of success. And that is not for the faint of heart because we're going up against Goliath because our parents sacrificed so much. Some of you listening, you sacrificed so much to come to this country. And then 
for Griselda and I, we turn around and we do almost everything that we th our parents thought we weren't going to do with the exception of advanced degrees. And then it's crazy because there's some tipping point where it's like, oh, now it's too much education. Like, otra vez a la escuela. Vas a seguir. Oh, <laughs> my God. You're, you're like speaking to me ahorita. When I, when I started, when I, st well, I was in graduate school and my, my then partner, my, my then boyfriend, like my first boyfriend from high school until graduate school, his parents were over for dinner and It was the summer right before I started my doctoral program. And my mother and his parents started talking shit to him why he's letting me go back to school, right? Oh, because I was 24, he was 27. He, was, he wasn't even, he had like an associate's degree and he was working towards more education. And then... I was like, oh, but I'm in the room. Hello. Then his father, bless his heart, because his father, I've heard transitions. His father was a deacon and he was like, well, you know, Miguelina, sometimes the devil disguises himself in education. Mm. What? Okay. <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I could write a fucking one woman play about that night. <laughs> no, padrecito. I'm just <laughs> Where I was like, uh, Jesus comes again. Yo, yeah. so it's like, why are you letting her go back to school to like, you know, that the devil comes in many forms, mm. sometimes like as professors and as degrees, you know, aside from the Bruja conversation, me and Miguel, we're, we're asked to speak a lot about like anti-blackness among Latinos. And one of the things that we've we've grown to admit and to share with listeners, viewers is that we it's also about like having compassion for our elders because they like all of us, every human being is, is biologically wired to be on survival mode. That mammalian brain, the reptilian brain, the old brain, the hunter gatherer brain really wires us to be in constant survival mode. And son bruto a veces, because a lot of our family, Latinx people, generally speaking, that have migrated to the U.S. Because let's remember that, you know, some Mexicans have been here forever. Right. But those that have migrated, like other Latinos that have migrated, they often have come from like really economically impoverished context and they really just want the best for us. But it doesn't mean that you need to be somebody's um, doormat either. It doesn't mean that you let your parents verbally, psychologically, emotionally abuse you for the sake of having compassion. It's important to stand up for them, stand up to them and draw boundaries and love. But like at one point, Miguelina and I just like reeled back the reins a bit and we were like, you know, like, okay, like they, she, they just don't know better. Like today we're going to go to the family and I know Miga is going to be more like subdued than she was a few years ago. because she's just like, they just don't know better. And they really, in the bottom of their heart, they mean, well, they think they mean well, and they think that they're giving me insight on what they think I should be doing. Um, but you know, to just remember that, that they just really believe that they want the best for us. I mean, like my, our godmother, um, we hadn't seen her. I hadn't seen her in like two years. And she's so pivotal. Eona Madrina, you know, in, in a Catholic Latinx context, that's like my mother. Right. Um, and not only yeah. that, she indirectly and directly taught us so much about spirituality and herbs and dream interpretation. She's a witch. She's like a Bruja Suprema in our world. So I hold her with such regard, but she visited this summer and I hadn't seen her in a long time. Y'all, She was here for all of like 97 seconds and we're <laughs> sitting together on the couch and she's like, e tu? she goes like this. I I'm going to show you physically, <laughs> visually, but then I'm going to tell you for those that can't see. E tu, tu vas tener lo bebé? She taps my belly. 
Ah, ¿Y tú? No. ¿Cuándo tú vas a tener los bebés? ¿Cuándo tú vas a tener los muchachos? Gris was sitting like catty corner from me and I just gave her, I flashed her that look. I'll flash her like, I will cut this bitch if she wasn't an elder. <laughs> like, come and get her. And like, you know, Griselda managed to finagle and like, Jesus huh? again. It's Jesus, another Jesus. Jesus. Oh, another oh, Jesus. That, that's a yeah. whole lot. That's, that's a, a whole nother Jesus. Jesus over there. That's a whole nother story. <laughs> so the, the camera's on my mother's altar. But, you know, it, like 29-year-old, 31-year-old Miguel would have been like, no, no se metan, este mi vientre, mind your business, this is my womb. And I was like, no, madrina, usted sabe, estamos en eso, yo tengo novio ya. But it's stuff like that, that it's like, you don't know my reproductive issues. You don't know if I can or can I have children. You don't know if I've miscarried. You don't know if I just chose not to have children. And, you know, I love that Gri and, Gri and I are such yin and yang because she was just like, you know, compassion. And let's just, and I'm like, uh, uh, we need to tell them to mind. Let me show her some compassion. She's like, we need to cut a bitch right now. <laughs> we need to, we need to be like, eh, no se metan. Like one of my cousins, Jenny, we were in DR. And when we go back home, it's like, that's on steroids. That's on steroids. I hear we're, we, were, no. we were, we were, She was single and we were like at a rezo. It was like our grandmother's prayer. She had passed away. People that haven't seen us since we were like eight years old. We are grown women. And then it's like, I love our people for it, but it's also like, it, it's caused so much pain, but I still love our people. They look at my cousin Jenny. Y tú, y tú, cuando tú, tú no piensas tener muchacho, eh? You know, my cousin Jenny, she was standing like on a porch and they had to be like, like 40 people around. And she's like, Doña, usted quiere mi vientre? Ven, tenga, coja mi vientre y páreme un muchacho. Like, take my womb and you have a baby, yo. And I sat there. I remember Jenny, I was standing right there to Jenny. And I didn't even, I didn't, I was like, you brought this upon yourself, lady. Yo, and I remember like being so proud of her because <laughs> it was like, you haven't seen her since like 1989. <laughs> It's 2015. And you're going to ask, you're going to really just, Not only pull her to the side and be like, ¿Y, y como tu tami? No, it's like in front of people. Y tú, tú, like, like she's a cow, right? Like, <laughs> like I said, I love it and hate Aww. it at the same time. <laughs> oh, man. I've, we've been there. We've all been there. We've had the primas, and the, you know, being faced by the tias face on. I This all really, like, speaks to me when we go back home. We call it home because that's what it feels like, right? Where our parents you know, came from with all these dreams and they, they bring us back there and it's se siente como que si es casa because all of our extended family, you know, it's like you feel grounded, you feel rooted, like, oh, this is where I come from. This is all a part of me. Pero a veces se meten en donde no deben. <laughs> But that's the reason that Level of Latina was born in a lot of ways. Like, yeah. our thing is like that. Our tagline, our motto is a guilt-free evolution because we got to let go of that guilt mm. of all of it. Like, we're always, I love this perspective how you both gave both sides. Like, They want you to uh, take with whatever comes and go for it. You know, my mom always says, "Ay, qué bueno que tu esposa te aguanta." Okay, it's <laughs> a compliment I get. Oh, great! <laughs> and then it's like at the same time, it would. My mom would totally be like, "No te pega. He doesn't cheat on you. If you're not happy, te aguantate." You know, it's just both sides of it. And it's like if you decide the opposite, all the guilt and some of the shame that comes with that. But yet you got to be true to you, and that's why with Level of Latina, it's always been about this message. This conversation because there are people out there right now there are amazing strong beautiful women doing it for someone else and not for themselves mm -hmm. and so we need more mm -hmm. of these honest conversations so we can gas them up and they can understand that 
it's going to be hard. We're not saying it's going to be easy. It's going to be hard. Like my mom also having when she was 40, I also now have to sort mm. of bite my tongue at a lot of this traditional stuff, but also her prayers have been wrapping us and wrapping us and her mm -hmm. faith and her beautiful, everything about her. But she's the most, she will cut you with that tongue. She will cut you with her tongue. So she kind of raises to be the same way, but you better not do it to her. If you know, there will <laughs> mm -hmm. be fire. So it's this weird, like, as you get older, you kind of, you have more patience, I think, and you pick your battles. I think I'm trying, but many times I'm swallowing it, just swallowing the, oh, this is my sweet, dear mom. If she wasn't using a cane, I'd be getting back at her. <laughs> I'd be using that cane. If she wasn't I'm holding her cane right now, if she was sitting down, I might come back. But you know what? At the end of the day, I got to live that life and live it guilt-free. I don't want to like, mm -hmm. like you said, you want to stand up for yourself too. My goodness, you want to stand up for yourself, but it's such a bind. So to our listeners, I hope you're feeling it and you're feeling all the right things. Yeah. And, and to bring it back, like we all have to take a deep breath, right? We have to take a deep breath sometimes along our family, recenter. We're like, okay, no les voy a atacar. So in this it kind of segues to our, our question that we had on, I mean, I love our conversation. I just want to keep going like, hey, you yeah. guys, I, it, we, yes. like, we have so much to, to just really dig into. But it's, it was into you help women through kundalini yoga and meditation. So I've experienced that a little bit. And I, it brought me with a few practices, chillando. It just brought me my emotions out. And I had no idea what was happening. Can you tell us more about that work in what exactly it does and what you do for the women you work with? All of your work, all of your work. All of your, uh, yeah. Tell us about everything. Please, everything. Like, <laughs> I'm like, where do I sign up? Do. First of all, we're yeah, not everything. <laughs> yeah. It's been the blessing of, of, of the pandemic that we've been able to be become more accessible to so many people because we never really did virtual anything until the pandemic. And now we have people from coast to coast, people in DR, sometimes people in like South Africa, people in Europe that tune into our events. So, yeah, I would say that um, a very foundational aspect of our work as Brujas of Brooklyn is Kundalini Yoga. And what Kundalini Yoga is, is a technology to help channel and raise and elevate this energy that every human being has in their body, which is called Kundalini or Shakti or the Uraeus, like ancient North Africans used to call it. And it's like a feminine serpent creative energy that we use for life. We use, to, we use it to conceive life, to give birth. We use it to birth our lives, birth ideas, birth projects. But because of like so much of modernity weighs us down, we do things from breathing to moving to chanting to help that energy rise. And what, what we do is that why, like you said, um, why a lot of people do cry is because we, Kundalini, like other yogas, does for, focus on moving the body to get the limbs stretched and to have people feel good physically. But Kundalini focuses specifically on our energy bodies or the aura because our energy bodies are like this dense light layer of light that is outside of our bodies and it could go as big as like 10 feet and it contracts because of trauma because of food because of sadness because of other things so the technology helps the person get into like the little nooks and crannies of the aura to like move and shake some of the stagnant energy that may be creating blockages for that energy to rise up the person's spinal column. So people cry because the breathing, the chanting, the way you hold a move or a posture sometimes for up to 11 minutes, it really like metaphysically gets the person to go back to like maybe a very traumatic event or maybe the loss of a loved one that they haven't grieved and just process that so that it won't have so much of a hold, right? And what Miguelina and I have recently come to terms with 
And, you know, we recognize is that via Kundalini Yoga, we help people to do a lot of shadow work, you know, which is looking at the more unattractive parts of the human psyche, like anger and rage and sadness and jealousy and envy and really sit with those things. You know, those are like ugly, so-called ugly emotions that we've been conditioned not to want to like talk about. Like I talk a lot openly about how sometimes I've unleashed verbally on my little six-year-old and I feel terrible, you know, but when I open up to other mothers, they're like, oh girl, me too. Like my, my, my daughter, my children are the only ones that can trigger me the way that they do. Right. So there's a lot of shame around admitting these emotions, but when you release the shame and that's what Miguelina and I do by being so authentic and unapologetic, it gives other people permission to be like, oh, I'm not the only one, or it's, it's not that bad. I'm not that bad of a person for feeling this. And it's a beautiful technology. It has helped me and Miguel to become stronger, kinder, more patient individuals and even virtually, but imagine, I mean, I know that Ceci, you experienced it um, in person, but when you experience us in person or, or anybody that channels the Kundalini energy is very profound because it's an old way, an old technology. And um, people leave our workshops feeling like, holy shit, like I feel like I'm flying right now because that's what the technology helps you do. And then, you know, Gri and I um, step in and yesterday we were at an event and uh, one of it was it was Dominican Independence Day, quote unquote, but that's a whole different conversation. So it was a, a, a small group of like Dominican women together. And this one sister, Luna and Griselda, I was like, I think you two may be the only Kundalini yoga teachers because all the certified in Kundalini yoga that I know that are Dominican. And we were like, we were going through like our mental Rolodex, like, holy shit, there's not a lot of women of color Latinas that practice this type of yoga and even fewer that actually are, you know, teachers and hold space, right? So then Griselda and I, we start, um, we've been practicing Kundalini for over 10 years. Griselda um, became a teacher in 2014 throughout her entire pregnancy. So my nephew's like a little Kundalini baby, a little Kundalini yoga baby, you know, we, um, the Kundalini yoga community, like so much of the yoga community, but Kundalini yoga specifically, and Griya and I know this, it's very white, you know, I'm a Hatha and Vinyasa yoga instructor, but there's something about the Kundalini community that is exponentially white. There's nothing inherently wrong with that, but there's something very different when you're practicing such a sacred technology where you're going to be so vulnerable and you're going to cry and you're going to share maybe stay. We've been in sessions that people are like, I've never said this out loud. This is the first time. Right. And when you do that and experience that and the teacher looks like you and she eats like you and she talks like you and the majority of the people around you are the same, it just helps you relax a little bit more. Right. So Griselda and I were very intentional when we started to hold space with Kundalini yoga because we incorporated so many aspects of our culture, like even the music. When we have events, yes, there's specific Kundalini yoga music that's like binaural beats. It vibrates at a certain frequency. There's mantra music. But we'll play like Cardi B and Selena. You know, we'll play Juan Luis Guerra and like Sanatum Carr. You know, the way we show up, we're supposed to wrap our head to protect our energies. We're all white when we practice. In the summertime, I'll wear like a really cute, short, white romper with like 
my head wrap and my big hoop earrings with my red lipstick. You know, Griselda may wear like a beautiful like sundress with like purple lipstick. So, you know, we show up and, I, and, I, and I'm going to use this word very carefully. We don't show up like frumpy. Like sometimes, you know, people have this like image of what a spiritual woman is. We let people know like it's fun. We have fun. And then Kundalini is all about like Shakti, sexuality, sex. And it's not about fucking. It's about sex. Like, you know, dedicate your orgasms to like a cause, you know, dedicate sex to healing between you and your beloved, like own your sexuality. And we're very unapologetic with that because I think that's another way that women, Latinas, Latinas raised under a Christian tradition, like Gri and I were, where we're controlled, where it's like, we're not supposed to talk about sex. God forbid you admit you like sex. We're supposed to be virgins, have one partner. It's like, yeah, la, 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 la. And then there's this technology that's like, but you were created because two people made love. You are the epitome of love and sex in human form. Why are you like shunning away from that? So it's, it's been almost like this, it's been so invigorating and it's been a rebirth of sorts because when you think about like Christianity, right? And then you think about like who were the white like colonizers on this landmass, you know, the Puritans, the Prudes, it just adds on to this like Marianismo that as women, we're supposed to be meek and we're supposed to be like, it's so, it's honestly, y'all, in 2021, it's ridiculous. And we let the old folks get away with certain things. But when women in our generation and younger, they still dabble in that. Like, I remember years ago, someone I know talking about how could you wear sh such short shorts? Like, I, I don't, I feel like, I don't feel respected when I wear short shorts. And I looked at her like, bitch, what? Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? So it's little things like that, that I'm like, when our generations do it, a part of me is like, he has more patience than I do. I'm like, are we serious? But then I have to step back and remember, like, that's, that's probably trauma. That's probably stuff that they're working with and just hold space for them. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We can relate so much to every single story, your journey, those moments that trying to keep it together, trying to say what you feel at the <laughs> same time, because that's okay, too. There was one thing we, we kind of touched on, but I want to know a little bit more about, which is your Yoni workshops. So you mentioned what it means. And I remember being at the wellness day where we met you all. And there was so much embraced with the Yoni and your Yoni and connecting. And I just remember thinking for me, that was my first time ever even hearing it expressed in that way in those terms so I'm sure that other listeners are a little curious about that as well especially if they're checking out your website so tell us a bit about that and your workshops that specialize in the yoni yeah so yoni um is a is a very old word um it uh, it's used a lot within like the hindu faith where it's like the the yoni and the lingam the yoni being like the vagina and the linga being lingam being like the phallic symbol and in in uh, in very ancient traditions especially pre-christian ones sexuality is honored is venerated right it's not it's not shamed so yoni um i really don't have like which maybe me and Miguel could continue to dig up the the roots of how that word was reclaimed has been used by women for several decades to reclaim the power of the pussy right to reclaim the power of our vagina yes. of our sacred space um, and what we realized, like I, I said earlier in, in the conversation that the, the womb is the portal, you know, our vaginas are, are, are our sacred portals. Um, and unfortunately, like Miguel finished saying, we're controlled so much via our 
yonis. And what, 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 what happened with us in being introduced to yoni work was that we started to feel a sense of power in reclaiming the power of our pussies, right? And we did it by, you know, um, um, tracking our menstrual cycles. We've been doing this since we were teenagers, but really being conscious of how many dates do I bleed? Is it heavy? Is it not? What is my mood on different parts of the cycles? Do, do I really PMS? How do I, you know, like really becoming connected to our cycles so that we're not controlled by it. And we know, okay, maybe I should take the day off if I could. Maybe I should ask my family for a little bit more support or to be more patient with me. That's very empowering. Then to be like, I don't know what's going on. And then I think that when we take a deeper, our yoni workshops are, we twerk, right? And it's not just twerking like for fun, which is very fun, but, you know, rooted in a very ancient African, especially West African tradition, where moving your waist and your hips in a certain way really moves energy in a cyclical way. So the fact that twerking has become so famous and so popular is not by mistake, you know, it's been debased by popular culture, but it's very much about this Aquarian age uh, awakening of the divine feminine that we're currently experiencing. Hence why I think we're in a quarantine, because the earth is really Really pushing for us to rest and reflect so that we can come out of this stronger versions of humanity, you know, um, and I think that the Yoni workshops, you know, they differ depending on sometimes we do it based on the season that we're in. Sometimes we do it based on moon phases, but the, the essential part of our workshops, Yoni workshops in particular, is that we want participants to leave feeling empowered, right? Whether it's by knowing, you know, what your blood looks like and what that has to say to you, our blood speaks to us, right? Or it's really sitting with the reality that maybe you've been in a toxic relationship and it's time to go. Like Miguel always talks about like la leche mala, like the toxic dick. Like literally women have yeast infections from having sex with people, especially heterosexual um, women having sex with men. Not only is the person's sperm, you know, I'm being very crass, but direct acidic, they eat terrible, they, they carry terrible thoughts, you know, they don't take care of themselves. But the person's energy is also like a vampire sucking the person's your energy, you know, and women have yeast infections, let's say, and they can't pinpoint that it's not what they're eating. It's not not it's not that they're not letting their 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 popola their yoni air out. It's because they're having sex with somebody that's not really promoting their well being. So you know, it's I miss our yoni workshops. And we have a lot of fun. You know, um, you reminded me of when after I did the workshop with you too, um, it was, I remember the cord cutting ceremony. And it was after that event that I stopped having this reoccurring dream. And I told Irene and Beto, I would have dreams with an ex from college that I dated. And sometimes they were sexual. And I was like, why? I'm like, I haven't seen this guy in years. Why do I keep on having this dream? Just randomly and I was already married and I already had a baby and it was after I, I experienced that workshop with you two that those dreams stopped so algo tóxico de él que todavía estaba en mí se salió after yes, that so. believe it yeah. believe it Vero you were gonna say I was gonna share something okay so this is really wild um so I had my ex-boyfriend before my husband um cheated on me and I wanted to meet this girl Right. I was like, I want to meet this woman that he cheated on me. She must be great. Um, I find, you know, I got her number from his phone because I had, you know, had previously checked this one. And that's how I confirmed he was cheating. Yes, my son is a green over there. He's like, yeah, mom, you go. Um, 
<laughs> but I ended up, I messaged her and I was like, hey, look, I just want to meet you. I just want to meet you. And she was like, no. And later in the day, she's like, yes, let's meet. I want, you know, I'll meet you somewhere. So we ended up meeting in a public place. I was like, what if I go crazy and whoop her ass? I don't know. So I was like, I'd rather just uh, meet in a public place. And I just want to get to know her. It like, not like as friends, but just talk to her and see how great this person is. She wasn't. She wasn't. We ended right. up meeting at this, at this, um, like a brewery, kind of like a brewery that's by the beach, by the water. Cause I was like, I need to be somewhere where I, if I need to walk out of there, I want to be able to walk out and get some fresh air and just cleanse it out. Right. So we end up talking, we have a few drinks. She ends up like drunk, but she's sharing all this stuff. And, oh. and I, I didn't feel like I, I, at that moment I was just like, who is this woman? Like, really, this is who he cheated with me uh, on me with. But at one of those things, she shared something about, she's like, I don't even think I should be having sex with this man. She goes, every time we have sex, I get a rash. I am, I feel like I am allergic to his, I, I believe she said his, you know, she was like to his cum, to his sperm. And she's like, but you know, and every time it's happened, she's like, this is what's happened. And I was like, I, I was kind of amazed that she was willing to share that. But like, she knew she was like, there's something wrong because it's, I think I'm allergic to him. And right now that you mentioned that, it brought me back to that memory where like, no, no nos damos cuenta de ciertas cosas. We just think it's, oh, it's nothing. But there is that toxic toxicity, you know, that, and we don't even think about it. Ceci's so, so laughing right now because the word toxicity. And <laughs> never que bueno de la que te libraste, first sí. of all. Yeah. First of all, yes. You didn't need the toxic sperm in your life. No, I did not. Number <laughs> <laughs> one. So Thank you for really your prayers. Thank you for your uh, prayers. Thank you. And the thing about that is like, it's then if you have sex with him, you're picking up that rash that she got and it's being transferred energetically or even physically to you. And mm -hmm. this is where Gri and I, our work is, it could be controversial and very healing at the same time or independent of both of those things, you know, being uh, mutually exclusive, but it's because we're like sexual liberation. If you want to fuck, fuck. Sex is a beautiful thing. Make love. Enjoy yourself. Please have orgasms. There's so many women that do not orgasm, but everything in a state of balance, right? Ma'at, that Egyptian energy of balance. Everything in a state of ma'at because we're also like, but know who your lovers are because you are dabbling with the most powerful energy, kundalini shakti, sexual energy, creative energy, it is so powerful that it created each and every one of us here. It created the earth. It created the galaxy that our earth lives in. And that's why these core cutting rituals and Ceci's testimony is so powerful. And it's so true because sometimes it's just about stopping and almost like that cord that she made with that ex, just shedding light on it. Like they broke up and she probably never thought about that connection. And the thing about those ties is Cecilia probably didn't think about this man ever. But not only does he live, so it's believed in psychology and Kundalini yoga. Also, he lives, his energy lives in her psyche, but he's probably thinking about her. You know, you know, with uh, Cecilia's ex is probably thinking about her. And it's just uh, uh, those rituals. You could do it by yourself. You invoke the energy of San Miguel. You could do it in a collective the way Cecilia did. 
with the workshop she attended with us and you know we all grow it's just shedding light on that connection and saying this does not serve me anymore because the thing about that in certain cases is if you don't that's the same energy that you attract mates with so it's like you're like why do i keep attracting the same type of man why do i keep attracting the same woman because there's still this pattern that you haven't necessarily just put a stop to it and that's why these cord cutting rituals are so powerful and they're necessary because it, uh, we all walk around with the imprints of our past lovers and sometimes it has to be a complete cut like a severance and sometimes it's like i just want to like shed light and get rid of what no longer serves me i thank you for the connection part of the woman that i am today is because of our past relationship but it's done thank you very much thank you for that what always jumps out to me what i love about this work and just about the transparency of it all is the word healing how we talk about maybe it's trauma but really we're all trying to get to healing. Maybe it's toxic. Maybe it's a connection that wasn't working, but it makes you who you are today and use it to heal. Mm -hmm. And I love that about everything. I feel like there's a common chord among all the things that we talked about today. That is that healing. So one of the things that really jumped out at us, and I was looking at the website earlier today because I couldn't help myself, but you all talk about something called the seventh generation principle. And I really think this rings true, but we need more. I need to hear more about what it means, but just on the website, it says, it's healing that takes place today, but it would it will help heal seven generations before us and seven after us. And I think that is powerful beyond measure. So tell us more about that. We were inspired by um, Native Americans in this landmass, especially in the Northeast. So we went to school, like we said, in Binghamton and Syracuse, New York. So the Onondaga or the Haudenosaunee um, have a very strong hold on that part of the country because um, a lot of indigenous tribes, unfortunately, with the Trail of Tears were pushed into the center of the country and reservations, they, like it, where you all are at, like the, the Southwest and the Northeast are the few places where indigenous people are, where their land has been for centuries. So that's really motivated us. And we learned from a lot of their traditions about the seventh generation principle. So it's an indigenous idea that um, really touches on the reality that we are multidimensional, meaning that who we are today, it has a lot to do with the people that and the beings that came before us and the legacies that we're creating for the people that come after us. So when you understand that, it becomes even more imperative to ensure that you are walking in as healthy of a path as possible, because that way you can heal retroactively, energetically, the wounds of your ancestors by you healing yourself, which is so beautiful, right? To know that a lot of our abuelitas and our tias and our tios either worked so hard, didn't have the knowledge, or didn't have the, the resources to be able to dedicate time to heal themselves. And we have been chosen to break cycles in our families so that their memory won't be attached to those like wounds anymore. And then when you heal yourself, you're clearing the path in your lineage so that the kids and the children that are coming after you won't have to inherit some of that. A lot of us carry a lot of that baggage that we spoke about in the aura, in the energy field. And a lot of it is not ours. A lot of it is our mothers. A lot of, a lot of it is our fathers. Some of it is like inheriting like physical ailments, but more especially inheriting psychological um, imbalances, right? Spiritual imbalances. And sometimes we can feel so overwhelmed because we think it's all ours and it's not, right? 
So that seventh generation principle is so important because it really gives us, my sister and I, motivation to continue to do the work of healing and living, right? Because our goal is not just to be in a constant state of healing. It's also about joy, right? To be in a state of joy because our ancestors, a lot of them didn't experience that joy so that then we could teach our babies how to live joyous lives. It can, it can be a lot of pressure also to be like, oh my God, that's 14 generations that are counting on me. But we choose to see it more as like, no, that's why you have to get up and you have to work out, Gri. That's why you have to get up and you have to do that meditation, Miguel, because there's so many entities that are counting on you to do this work. That brings tears to my eyes because truly it's such a, it's an honor. I think it's an honor to be in that place. And sure, there's probably pressure that comes with it. But I think that when I finally started to recognize that with my own mom, like she survived an abusive husband. She had six kids. She had one year of schooling, came here, did it all. To me, she's like Bill Gates because she was looking forward to maybe riding a bike one day when she was growing up super poor on a ranch. And then so she teaches herself to drive. She has her own business, very proudly cleaning houses, buys her own house, pays that house off, raises these six kids in spite of this abusive man. I'm the youngest after all these kids she has. She's tired. She didn't want to have to raise the six. You know, so she's had to go through so much in her life. And I think she's so strong. And she carries so much trauma, so much healing that still probably hasn't happened because of all the abuse and who could she turn to, who could help her. She was really on her own. And I think us as siblings, all of our lives, we've held all kinds of stuff against her all the time. It's like, we're always like, there's a battle. All six of us have a different battle. And I think at one point I just recognized like the strength in this woman and that if I'm okay, she's okay. You know what I mean? Like if I'm not, if I am bringing joy, that's the energy she gets. And I was telling the girls the other day that like gossip is her MO, like that's what she goes to. And I've noticed that lately I'm like gassing her up and I listen and I listen, but I don't chime in. You know what I mean? Like I don't tear somebody down. It's my way of being like, I'm going to be positive without like judging her. You know what I mean? Old me wanted to correct my wise elder thinking that I like my shit don't stink. You know what I mean? Like, so that, that idea that like, we don't have to worry about the 14 generations. Just try to be your best you and let people be them. Like my mama can gossip if she wants to. You know what I mean? Like as long as she's gossiping about me and my husband and my kids behind my back, I'm good. So it's this beautiful idea that we got to do the work for us. Like anything else, like anything else. It starts with you. Your mama's not going to change. Your boo's not going to change. Your kids aren't going to be what you didn't grow up to be. And you can't you know, put that pressure on them. So thank you for sharing that with us. And know that there's so much more that you can get from the Rujas of Brooklyn. Please, please, please look them up. Check them out on their website. I mentioned and alluded to it a little bit. But besides that, besides being like these amazing doctoras, brujas, you're also professors. And again, we already established we take all of your classes. But what do you teach? You know, if listeners are listening to this and they can actually take your course, what can they sign up for? I personally have been getting more lately on my personal page. I want to sit in, in your class. And unless you enroll in the City University of New York, there's no like technical way um, to take a class. But Gri and I and Gri, you know, talking to you and myself, right? Because the words that come from your mouth, you're the first to hear. Speaking to both of, both of us, we've been talking about creating a syllabus of sorts where people can enroll in like a class that we teach with like readings and lectures and, and conversations. But um, in... Within the City University of New York, I teach urban studies. I teach urban sociology. And the focus in my classes um, are gentrification, is gentrification. So that's what my dissertation work was centered on. And we talk about gentrification within like a neo-colonialism 
context, especially because the majority of my students are immigrants. A lot of them are Latinx or South Asian. I teach at LaGuardia Community College, like the most diverse um, space of higher education in the country. Like, I don't know how many different languages our students speak and religions are practiced and ethnicities and nationalities. So I, I teach gentrification within this neo-colonial context. Like, you know, if your mom well, is Christian and, and her God is this white man with blonde hair and blue eyes, when she experiences people who are white with blonde hair and blue eyes in, in the real world, there's this God complex that she equates, right? Where she sees them as people in positions of power and authority. And that was intentional, right? The Spanish, the Portuguese, the French did that intentionally to brainwash the indigenous people on our respective land masses and the enslaved Africans that were brought over, right? But then when you look at it within the context of neighborhood change of like your neighborhood is predominantly, for example, African-American, where we grew up in Bed-Stuy. And because of a lot of reasons that were intentional, that neighborhood has been impoverished and crime-ridden and there's a lot of housing projects, et cetera. And there's a predominantly African-American neighborhood. And then white people start to move in. Someone like my mom is like, I see que bueno, que vienen lo blanco pa que esto, esto se limpie. Thank God that white people are moving in so that the neighborhood could improve. And I'm like, no, no, no. You know, they come for the most part and we have to go. So we have to look at it within this neo-colonial context. So that is what I teach. And Gri and I, the same way you see us today and if you ever been to one of our workshops virtually or in person with our big hoop earrings and our red lipstick and our funky outfits, that's the way we teach because we feel like we can't be these holier than thou academics and like speak at our students. We have to talk like to our students and with our students. Beautiful. So I teach in the, technically I teach in the Department of Anthropology, Gender Studies and International Studies for the City College of New York. Most of my classes are sociology based, but um, the bulk of the classes that I teach um, are about birth justice. So I teach about the dynamics that lead women of color, African descended women in particular to die or almost die at crazy rates in the United States. The US has the most expensive healthcare in the world, but in the industrialized world, we have the worst maternal mortality statistics. So I teach about that complexity, the complex. But I think that the most fascinating class I've taught is called Decolonizing the Witch, which I go to back to like pre-modern European history to look at the witch hunts that were enacted in Western Europe for over 400 years and then connected to the way women are treated while giving birth in 2021. Um, yeah, so it's fascinating to be teaching and learning about the Bruja. And yeah, I'm excited to really um, receive the charge, Megan, from you all to create a curriculum to make our work more accessible. All of our readings, even before the pandemic, all of my readings were always scanned and available online. So it's just a matter of creating a platform to make this accessible to all. Yes, we'd be happy to share it. Happy to share it. We need more of this. So many of us are lifelong learners or didn't get the experience to maybe even go away to college. Like you said, their parents shamed them to stay close by. And maybe they're so hungry for that learning. And just this curriculum that takes away the shame that is so modern, that is so open. Yes, 
do it. Tell us how to share that. We'll share yeah. it on our platforms. We'd love to collaborate if we can help in any way. I'd love to be like the MC and introduce y'all, be a little hype man. Beto can do her thing and sell the t-shirts. And I don't know, Ceci can do some legalities. And there you go. Collaboration is born. Uh, and that's how my mind thinks. But I would love to see that develop. And these all sound fascinating. Beto and I were social majors in college. And it's like right up our alley to hear about uh -huh. all this and, and to learn about it too. I grew up in English. You grew up in Watts. We know a little something about gentrification and the impacts of that as well and the changes we've seen. We have gotten pretty much to the end of our episode and our favorite question that we always ask all of our guests is what advice would you give your 25 year old self now looking back? Boy, <laughs> 25 year old Gris. Um, don't take yourself too serious. Don't take yourself too serious. Life is gonna pass you by quicker than you think. It's okay to take that trip. It's okay to put the book down and it's okay to live in the moment because you're gonna remember the trip and remember the party and you're not gonna remember as much the sleepless night of staying up studying. So don't take yourself so serious. Yeah. Um, 25 year old Miguel, I think I would tell her, you know, you're okay and everything's gonna be okay. Um, that, you know, you don't have to do certain things out of, societal pressure. Um, my advice to my 25 year old self, it's, it's similar to Gris about not taking myself so serious, but like, don't put so much stock in romantic love. You know, don't worry about having a man and being in a relationship and marriage and children, because there's time for all of that. Like we have at 25, we have more time than we think. Um, and yeah, just have fun at 25. Have fun. You're still young. Uh, have fun. Seriously. Drink water. Incorporate some sort of movement weekly in your life. Seriously. Like, cause I, there will come a point where you can't touch your toes and your knees will ache when you get out of bed that I would hear at 25 and be like me never. I am a dancer and I do yoga and I do spinning <laughs> and la 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 la. And now I'm like, ah, I like, you know, just, yes, take care of your body, drink water, and please do not put so much stock in romantic love. You're worth that it. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful pieces of advice. And I feel you on that. You know, I just turned 40 and I'm like, ooh, my knees, hey. my <laughs> knees. I feel sexy and good. But when I work out during this little 21 day challenge I'm doing with Ceci, I'm like, this actually hurts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're about to be 40. So things we, have we know. changed. Oh, we're all around the same age yeah, the then because it's a big year. You two are going to turn 42. Yeah, love it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Please tell our listeners how to find you on social, online. Where can they go? Brujas of Brooklyn across all mediums, Instagram, Facebook, um, Twitter, and brujasofbrooklyn.com. And that's B-R-U-J-A-S. It's Spanish. B-R-U-J-A-S of Brooklyn. Thank you. Thank you all. This was great. This was this fun. Was incredible. Yeah. We loved having you. As you can tell, we like never go this no. long. So thank you. Thank oh. you. Thank you. We just wanted to talk to you forever. I love that. It. It's like West Coast, East Coast, same, same drama, same upbringing, like the same everything. It doesn't matter where you're from. It's like, like that Latina connection, that first gen connection. I just love it. So we're super grateful to have had you both here today. Chingonas, getting after it. Doctoras, brujas, we love it. We 
we hope that our listeners will really take serious checking out their site, going to their social, sharing this episode so more people can feel that they've got this message, that it's okay to heal, that it's okay to love your body, love sex, take care of yourself, you know, clash with your family if you have to just progress forward and heal. So please take a listen to this one and others anywhere, any platform where you get your podcast, make sure to hit us up if you have more questions for Brujas of Brooklyn or us. Our handle is at Level Up Latina. There's still time to join the guilt-free squad. So check out more on Instagram about our guilt-free squad. This conversation makes you want to live guilt-free. But the most important thing is to say thank you, mujeres. Gracias. For being so freaking badass. Las queremos mucho. This is beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. <laughs> you were incredible. We won't visit you in New York. Okay. Si Dios quiere. Sí.